Every pregnancy is at risk of chromosomal abnormalities, which are generally more common than most professionals and pregnant women would appreciate, occurring in one out of every 150 live births. With many early losses occurring due to aneuploidy, the prevalence is higher the earlier in pregnancy that one looks. All OBGYNs are familiar with trisomy 21, which of course is an aneuploidy. However, many other types of chromosomal abnormalities like microdeletions or microduplications are responsible for the difference in frequency of trisomy 21, which occurs in about 1 in 800 live births and the 1 in 150 number cited previously. In this podcast, we're going to cover some subchromosomal number variants like microdeletions and the importance that microdeletions have in global developmental delay and overall intellectual disability. However, what does the SMFM and ACOG say about routine screening of microdeletions using our current technologies like cell-free DNA? And how does microarray chromosome analysis come into play? So let's get started taking a detailed look at microdeletions, not only on the committee opinions from these professional societies, but what their clinical presentations entail. Microdeletion syndromes involve chromosomal deletions that include several genes but are too small to be detected by routine karyotype analysis. The classical microdeletion syndromes include, among others, Angelman syndrome, which is 15Q deletion, Prader-Willi syndrome, which is another 15Q deletion, and, of course, the DeGeorge syndrome, which is microdeletion syndrome 22Q. A list of common syndromic microdeletion syndromes can be found online and a complete review of microdeletions is outside of the scope of this podcast, but we'll dive into some specific conditions in this podcast just for clarity. Each of the microdeletion syndromes first described were based on clinical and phenotypic features and the underlying associated chromosomal defect was later identified. In the past, the confirmation of a clinically suspected microdeletion was done using FISH techniques, that's fluorescent in situ hybridization, since karyotype did not have the necessary resolution. However, chromosomal microarray analysis, or CMA, allows the rapid screening of the entire genome for any copy number variants, so chromosomal microarray analysis can find these microdeletions. Remember that chromosomal microarray analysis can only be done by diagnostic prenatal tests and not by any of the current screening modalities. Chromosomal microarray analysis has enabled the delineation of new microdeletion syndromes. However, the problem is, is that these copy number variants, like these microdeletions, can be associated with significant clinical heterogeneity even within the same family. For example, deletions in 15Q13 were first described in one patient who had intellectual disability. 
epilepsy, and facial dysmorphism, then subsequently associated with a spectrum of phenotypes including idiopathic generalized epilepsy, attention deficit and hyperactivity, and autism spectrum disorder. This has also even included types of bipolar presentation. Importantly, these copy number variants can have incomplete penetrance, as well-described pathogenic microdeletions have been inherited from phenotypically normal parents. The reasons for the variability in phenotype are several-fold. Now, the exact breakpoints of these copy number variants that get deleted can vary along with the genes that they encompass. So additional genomic variants can also have an impact on the expressivity of the phenotype. So these are also called epigenetic changes, and that's why finding a potential microdeletion on microarray analysis is hard to prognosticate how that child will be affected because of this wide clinical heterogeneity. All right, so we've laid down the foundation of what microdeletions are, and we've already said that they can really be found only by diagnostic tests. But we'll get into the statements from SMFM and ACOG regarding screening for microdeletions in just a minute. But what I want to do next is take a look at a specific microdeletion syndrome called the George syndrome. This is 22Q11, so let's do that next. 22Q11 microdeletion syndrome, also known as velocradiofacial or DeGeorge syndrome, is caused by a microdeletion in the long arm of chromosome 22. This microdeletion results in a spectrum of physical and cognitive abnormalities for carriers, including increased risk for psychiatric disease. With 30% of 22Q11 microdeletion syndrome patients developing schizophrenia. Now remember, earlier we talked about a link with bipolar type of activity for 15Q13. So remember that microdeletions don't just have developmental delay, but they are also associated with various types of psychiatric abnormalities. DeGeorge syndrome, or 22Q11 microdeletion, is the most common copy number variant associated with schizophrenia, accounting for up to 1-2% to of total cases. We have to make a clarification here, because the term 22Q11 microdeletion syndrome is the actual correct term, because it covers items once thought to be completely separate conditions, like DeGeorge syndrome, velocardiofacial syndrome, and other disorders that have this same genetic cause, though features can vary. So rather than calling it DeGeorge syndrome or velocardiofacial syndrome, the proper term should be 22Q11. Signs and symptoms of DeGeorge syndrome, or 22Q11, which is, again, its more proper term, can vary in type and severity, depending on what body system is affected and how severe the defects are. Some signs and symptoms may be apparent at birth, but others may not appear until later in infancy or even early childhood. Some of these signs and symptoms include heart murmurs and bluish skin due to poor circulation, in other words, cyanosis. They can also have frequent infections. Certain facial features can be more common, like an underdeveloped chin, low-set ears, wide-set eyes, or a narrow groove in the upper lip. 
They can also have a gap in the roof of the mouth, like a cleft lip, or other problems with the palate. They can have various types of delayed growth and difficulty feeding. Breathing problems and hypotonia are also common. Delayed development, delayed speech, and learning disabilities are also forms of this condition. Also, behavioral problems are not uncommon in 22Q11 microdeletion syndromes. So, this is one of the problems in identifying this with prenatal genetic testing, is that it can have a huge penetrance and various clinical presentations. Nonetheless, some physicians may choose to test for 22Q11 based on specific findings at different points in the child's life, even at birth. For example, if certain conditions like a severe heart defect, a cleft palate, or a combination of other factors are present at delivery, then 22Q11 microdeletion syndrome should be suspected and tested for. Or it can also be suspected during well baby visits. For example, a pediatrician or a family practitioner may suspect the disorder because of a combination of illnesses or disorders that become apparent over time. So once again, these have variable presentations, not just clinically, but at different points in the child's life. One of the pathognomonic presentations specifically for DeGeorge syndrome can occur within the first few days of the child's life. For example, jitteriness and tetany usually begin in the first 48 hours after delivery with DeGeorge syndrome because hypocalcemia is common with this condition. The peak onset of seizure activity also is pathognomonic for DeGeorge syndrome because it occurs around the third day, but there may be up to a two-week delay in seizure presentation. Additionally, many affected newborns do die because of cardiac causes during the first month with DeGeorge syndrome, and these survivors once again fail to thrive and can have frequent infections because of the failure of their cell-mediated immunity. All right, let's take a quick break there. When we come back, let's talk about 15Q11 because microdeletions in 15Q11 can present as Angelman syndrome or Prader-Willi syndrome based on which candidate genes are affected. Prader-Willi and Angelman syndrome are two classically distinct disorders associated with multiple anomalies and mental retardation. Prader-Willi and Angelman syndrome are classic and favorite USMLE questions because of their genetic imprinting basis. Let's get into that. These two conditions are discussed together because they share a similar and uncommon genetic basis. They involve genes that are located in the same region in the genome and are characterized by genetic imprinting. The normal process has contributed to two complex and severe conditions through inactivation of one copy of the genes relevant to each disorder. The maternally derived copy of genes for Prader-Willi syndrome in proximal 15Q are normally silent, and a paternally derived copy of one gene for Angelman syndrome in 15Q is normally silent. 
for both disorders when the normally active copy of the gene or genes is missing, abnormality results. Since the genes for these two disorders are located very close together, and since the center involved in inactivating the genes involved in imprinting may be the same, both these disorders usually result from the same chromosomal microdeletion. Which disorder results depends on the parent of origin of the chromosome 15 that becomes deleted. All right, that's about enough basic science that I can take. Let's talk about the clinical presentations of Angelman and Prater Willie. The clinical presentation of Angelman syndrome includes severe global developmental delay or various forms of intellectual disability. There's also gait ataxia, tremor, and inappropriate happy demeanor. There could also be microcephaly and, of course, seizure activity. For Prater-Willi syndrome, there's neonatal hypotonia and poor suck. The child also has global developmental delay and mild intellectual disability. There's also eventual hyperphagia and obesity. So these are the clinical pearls for Angelman clinical features compared to Prater-Willi syndrome. All right, team, let's wrap this up. We've covered the basis of microdeletion syndrome and have taken a look at a few more common conditions. But what does the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine and ACOG have to say about our current state-of-the-art screening modalities? Remember, we talked about microarray analysis for true diagnosis of any copy number variant, including microdeletions or microduplications. But these require diagnostic testing. What about screening modalities? Well, this is very clearly stated by ACOG and SMFM. Let's talk about that next. Some laboratories have added testing for chromosomal microdeletions to their cell-free DNA screening panels. In some laboratories, such expanded panels are a standard component of the test and require the ordering provider to actually opt out if they do not desire this information. Although, for other laboratories, they constitute an additional test with additional cost. Pathogenic chromosomal microdeletions or microduplications, again, these are called copy number variants, overall occur in about 1.2% of fetuses and newborn infants, and many of these are associated with significant neurodevelopmental and other disabilities like we've already discussed. However, this number refers to all possible copy number variants in a population, although cell-free DNA currently screens for only four or five such disorders, although, to be honest, the number that they're looking for is rapidly expanding. So, women who desire testing for copy number variants or who prefer comprehensive testing for as many disorders as possible should be offered diagnostic testing with chromosomal microarray, and that's the opinion of SMFM and ACOG. Although the well-recognized 22Q microdeletion that is included on cell-free DNA expanded screening panels is relatively common as a condition affecting about 1 in 4,000 to 1 in 5,000 individuals, most other microdeletions are less common with incidences closer to 1 in 30,000 to 1 in 50,000. So, because of this low prevalence, the sensitivity 
specificity, and positive predictive values can be very low. As we wrap up this podcast, the following is a verbatim quote from the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine. Cell-free DNA screening for microdeletions has not been validated in clinical trials. Rather, proof-of-principle studies have included the mixing of normal and abnormal DNA in lab samples at ratios thought to represent typical fetal fractions. Even with very high sensitivity and specificity, at such low prevalence, the positive predictive value of such testing is likely to be very low, and the clinical utility of these tests at this time is unclear. So, according to SMFM, at this time, routine screening for microdeletions with cell-free DNA is simply not recommended. All right, podcast family, we have wrapped up our quick review of microdeletions, including the statement from the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, which is the same as the American College of OBGYN. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.